Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're uh, here today and uh, took a little time out of your Fourth of July uh, celebrations, whatever those were, uh, to come and to uh, hopefully grow in God. We are uh, in a series on the book of Ephesians, and uh, last week we looked at chapter 1, and this week we're going to be looking at chapter 2, and uh, this week we're only going to look at the first 10 verses of uh, chapter uh, 2, but I want you to pull out this little insert uh, that was in your program, and uh, I encourage you last week to do this, I want to do the same this week, that... uh, Whatever your, uh, if you have a study program, great. If not, a great way for you to read the Bible uh, is just to read this passage, and then there are some questions underneath that. So I want to strongly encourage you Monday through Friday to go ahead and do this and uh, to to grow. I think it's the one thing that helps you to spiritually grow uh, more than any other. And so if you could do that, uh, that'd be great. Deal? See, some of you aren't quite to the deal yet. So let's try it again. Deal? Deal. Deal. Okay. Now, let's look at chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you brought your Bible, great. If not, uh, it'll come up on the side screen, too. Um, And we'll go ahead and uh, we'll look at this. Starting in uh, verse 1. As for you, you were... What's the next word? What? Dead. In your transgresses transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And what's the next word? But, he says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, next three words, what are they? Alive, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now let's all read verses uh, 8 through 10 out loud together, okay? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, let's pray. God, I pray right now that any distractions that are in our lives, that you would remove those and you would give us the strength to surrender them to you. In fact, God... I pray right now that in each person's brain, uh, that if there is a distraction, God, that they would just give that to you. Help us to learn and to grow today. 
I pray that anything in my life, God, that would get in the way from Your Holy Spirit moving freely in this place, that it be removed. And I pray that individuals in this gymnasium today, God, that they would be rocked by Your words and Your teaching and Your Spirit. I'm trusting You now so that Your name would be made great. And the people of God said, Amen. My first question that I want to ask you this morning is this. Have you ever seen or been near a person who has died? Have you ever been near a dead person? Have you ever watched anybody die? A few years ago, I was traveling on State Road 35 coming from Richmond. And as I came up on this hill right before State Road 1, I saw something that happened in front of me that I knew was going to be very bad. A gentleman was driving his motorcycle and he lost control of it. And all of a sudden his body started to bounce on the pavement like a basketball right across the, inter- or right across the highway. And I knew immediately that this man was going to be injured very badly. And so I stopped and pulled off the road and there were some other people that did as well. And his body um, had already gone into shock and his uh, shoulders had kind of gone inward and his legs were inward like this. And uh, it was not good. And he was badly injured, and there was someone of one of the cars that must have known uh, some kind of emergency protocol. And so they got to him, and they started talking to him in his face. But he was just shaking from the shock and, and had not really communicated much, except he would kind of moan or grunt when they would say something to him. And I was down at, the, at his feet, and his feet were just shaking in front of me, and And I just started praying that that God would somehow work in this man's life. That he would spare him because it did not look good. Eventually, his whole body just stopped. He stopped shaking. His eyelids closed. And he wasn't communicating at all. And then his body just kind of went limp and he died right there in front of us. And when the EMS got there, they tried to revive him, but he was unresponsive. You see, folks, when I first arrived on the scene, he was alive and he was moving in some way. Even though he was in shock and then in just a very short period of time. He died on that pavement. And when he passed, he was totally unresponsive. And his body just kind of lay there limp. And it's a scene in my life. You know how you have scenes in your life that you never forget? That's one scene in my life I have never forgotten. 
The first first part of Ephesians chapter 2 explains that there is a time in every person's life in which you are dead to God. You're dead spiritually. There are transgressions and sin that cause you to be dead. And Paul says that actually there's a time in each person's life in which we are totally unresponsive to God. There's a time in which God's voice is not being listened to. His wisdom is not being implemented. His warnings are not being heeded. When His guidance isn't being followed, His love is not being felt. And we give no love to God. And there is no worship of God that comes from a person. Simply put, Paul says in Ephesians 2, that there is a time when everybody is dead to God. Now, if you think about this, this actually starts with people when they're quite young. Sometimes even as infants. Any of you who are parents, you know what this looks like. You prepare a meal and little Jimmy is around the mill and it's his favorite. It's macaroni and cheese. And you go, okay, Jimmy, before we eat our macaroni and cheese, we're going to pray to God. And Jimmy says, I'm not praying to God. He just keeps on eating. And you're like, oh, little Jimmy, come on, Jimmy. Let's be thankful. God provided this food for us. Let's give him thanks. And Jimmy says, I don't care if I offend the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I'm not praying. And he just keeps on chowing down on his macaroni and cheese. And you're like, whoa, like little Jimmy's not really connected to God right now, is he? And it starts when people are young. But let's say that Jimmy's parents never really try to correct the course of his life. And they never try to establish a relationship between him and God. Let's say that Jimmy's parents finally go, you know what? I don't even know if God exists. And if God doesn't exist, why am I telling you that he does? So we're just not going to talk about it at all. So let's say little Jimmy has that kind of paradigm in his head. He kind of has that thinking throughout his whole life. And he continues to do that and he doesn't pray. And he goes through his whole life. Ephesians 2.2 says, if you keep on growing up this way, the next thing that you know is this, that you'll be following the ways of the world. There will be no divine being in your life that you think about or that you know. So what you will notice is whatever is hot in the world and whatever makes you more powerful, and that's the direction you'll go. That means if it's sports, you get into every sport and you try to get the lowest handicapping off. If it's fashion, you try to get all the fashion clothes that you can. If it's power, you do that. If it's drugs, alcohol, sexuality, whatever, you just roll with whatever the world is rolling with. And Ephesians 2.3 says that if that trend continues and there's no interruption in your life and there's no one that kind of redirects you in a certain way, you're going to end up what Ephesians 2 verse 3 says gratifying the cravings of your sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. 
Which leads me to this question. How many of you can recall a time in your life, maybe in high school, maybe in college, maybe in your early 20s, in which you did something that was certifiably stupid? See, that's what's happened in the first one, too. A few people just kind of raised their hand. All the other ones are so holy, you know. For me, it was like all three areas. You know what I mean? All three eras. High school, college, early 20s. Stupid stuff I did, you know. And you're like, why am I doing this? And then you think, why am I wrapped up with all of these people? They don't care about me. Why am I making these decisions? Why am I engaged in self-destructive behavior? What's going on here? Why is my life turning out the way that it is? Ephesians 2 would say, well, if you're dead to God, if you're following the ways of the world, if you start down that path, gratifying the cravings of your sinful desire, and it's a well-worn path, that eventually it leads to destruction. Now, since I'm already meddling, you know, let me meddle just a little bit more. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you wound up kind of doing the nightmare sin? I mean, you committed the sin that you think is unforgivable. That no one needs to know this. You put it in a closet, the skeleton in the closet, and you lock the door. You don't want people to know. And you live your whole life hiding this thing because it was a nightmare. And at the end of that whole nightmare, you're like, what in the heck did I just do? I didn't even think I was capable of doing this. And then you look in the mirror one day and you're like, nope, I did it. I'm capable. And Paul goes on to say in this text that if you continue to do that and you don't get a course correction, there'll be nightmare after nightmare after nightmare of sin experiences. In fact, if you do that long enough, you'll, you'll wind up on a course of life that's an eternal nightmare. You're going to wind up separated from God from eternity, and that nightmare is called hell. And it exists, and it lasts forever. But you see, folks, this whole thing starts for people when they're little kids, when all of a sudden, in their heart, and no one corrects the course, and they go, I'm not praying, I'm not doing it. And if there's no course correction, they end up with painful lives filled with pain and nightmares. And Paul describes this downward slope that tens of millions of people have experienced. Now, where's the good news? Well, the good news is, he says, but, but... You can be made alive in God. I was going to originally name this the biggest butt in the Bible. <laughs> but I thought some of you might take it somewhere that it need not go. 
as Mikey and Derek did this week. And so uh, I decided I'd call it Raised Up to just make it a little bit more Christianized for some of you. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, it's such a powerful word. It says, but God, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, it says, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. Now, folks, don't push that point away too quickly, because that is... Those three words are so imperative. He made us alive. He raised us up. He resurrected our deadened condition. And throughout Christianity, historically, this has been known as the doctrine of regeneration. And this is what this uh, doctrine looks like. It says, the act of God by which he imparts divine life into the dead hearts of human beings. That he imparts divine life into the dead hearts of human beings. Now we're going to look at this throughout this morning as one of my buddies who uh, we go out and golf and he always says, you know, you know a day on the golf course is better, day, is better than a day at work. And he says for giggles and grins, let's just kind of do this kind of thing. Well, we're not doing this for giggles and grins because we don't have anything more important to do today. But this is why we're doing it. We're doing it because I think that once you understand this, you will learn to know how much God loves you. And you, in return, will learn to love God more. When you look at this... You look at it as words, but when it hits your being and you feel alive because of what he did, you go, are you kidding me? Like the one who created everything in heaven and earth, he made me alive in my deadened condition. Yes, he did. Ephesians 2.1, Paul says, as far as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, you're totally unresponsive to God. You were unfazed by His love. You were unmoved by His presence. You were uninterested in His wisdom or guidance in your life. And yet, in the middle of all of that, God made us alive. It wasn't like we were high on the scale of people to be chosen. You know, it wasn't like we were Harvard projects that, you know, came out of the womb and God's like, oh my goodness, you, you just to be a part of the world? Hallelujah, you know? No, he's like, you are messed up. And yet, in the middle of all of that, even in our mess, he says, you know what? I'm going to do something you can't do yourself. I'm going to make you alive. He imparted divine life into our lives. And then it says, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. To raise your deadness. So you could have regenerated life. Now the question is, well, have you been regenerated? I'm not asking, are you religious? But what I'm asking is, have you experienced God doing a miraculous thing in your life, imparting divine life into the deadness of your life? Have you experienced God's Spirit moving through your life? 
Now, I'm sure the next question you're probably asking is, well, how would I know? Like, what would that look like? Well, here's an example. Let's say that right after this celebration, you walk out and you go into the parking lot and you get in your car and you turn on your car and it goes, you're like, okay, maybe there might be something wrong. You think that you have a dead battery, but you're not sure. So you want to see if there are more indications than just... So you go ahead and you push the horn. No honk. You roll down the electric windows. Nothing's rolling down. You go ahead and you turn on the lights and you get outside and you look and there's like no lights on the headlights. And eventually, because of these multiple confirmations, you go, what? I think the battery is dead. Dead in its trespasses and dead in its sins, you know? So you're like, okay, here we are. And then all of a sudden, a friend stops by and they see your plight that your, your battery is dead. And they say, I've got some of these. Some jumper cables, some battery cables. And so he hooks his battery cables up to his fully charged battery. And then he starts imparting divine energy into your dead battery. You're like, that is so cool. Like, how does that happen? And then at some point... You know, then this always happens. You're, you're the person, you know, like you're the idiot, your battery's dead, you're there, and the person's like, rrr, rrr. you're like, all right, when do I start it? I better not start it too soon. And, man, I'm so grateful that they're even here, so I'll just wait. And, like, you're in that phase, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and you're like, I wonder if there's enough divine energy poured into this dead battery. And so the person finally gets out of the car. It's like, dude, start your car! You're like, okay, okay, because if you start your car and the radio plays and the light works and the horn honks and the electric windows go down, then you have multiple confirmation that your automotive being has been regenerated and a miracle has occurred. And so you turn it on, it's like, vroom, you're like, hallelujah, you know? And you're like, man, what a blessing. You regenerated my dead battery. Folks, how do you know when you've been spiritually regenerated? How do you know? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Let's read this out loud together. All of us in unison. Let's read it out loud. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been become new. All. All things. Have become new. Not some things, all things. There are multiple confirmations that tell you this is new. Now, for the rest of our time, I'm going to share something with you that's going to mess with you. Okay? I've already meddled a little bit, so now I'm going to mess. I'm doing it on purpose because I think every once in a while we need an internal check on where we're at. Okay? So, I'm going to ask a question after each of the points today, which is this. 
is God dead in my life or is God alive in my life? And so you'll have to decide. It's kind of like a, a picture where you have two sides of a column. And uh, on one side, uh, these people are dead to God. And on the other side, people are alive to God. And sometimes, this is what I found, folks, that some terrific people, they're partners, even here at the jar, and they bring their Bible to church, and they're here almost every Sunday, but they're dead to God. And then there are some people who are alive to God. They have been regenerated. And so the big question is, well, how do you know? How do you know which which side? Because there are indicators. There are confirmations by how we live this one and only life. The first issue is the issue of the Bible. If you give a Bible to a person who is dead to God, if you give a, a Bible to a person who is dead to God, they'll take the problem, or they'll take the Bible. The only problem is, is that when they open it, they're just like, yeah. They might come to church every single Sunday, but they just never open up the Bible. And whenever they read it, it doesn't come alive to them. It's not like there are words that are jumping off the page into them. And these are people who would never schedule time out of their busy day because they're just so busy with everything that they'd pull away and they'd actually like say, no, I'm going to read for a particular period of time. These are the kind of people that when the radio comes on, or the television comes on and, and there's someone that says, hey, we're going to study the Bible. They're like, click. They're like, are you serious? Let's get that off of here. There's no real hunger for this book. I mean, sometimes this book is a dead book. But it's simply because it's a dead person who's reading. Now you give a Bible to someone who's regenerated, who's connected with God's Spirit, they feel totally different about this. They look at this and they say, seriously? Like the God of the universe, the one who created everything, he actually wrote down some words and he said, you know what, I'm going to give these to you so you can read. These people take this and go, oh, this is such a gift. I'm going to read it, I'm going to understand it. And when they listen to someone teach on the Word, they're not like, all right, man, you know, Bob Evans gets busy about noon, so let's crank it up a little bit. But they look at this when they're teaching, people are excited. They're like, man, I want to I know more about it. You know, one of the first verses I ever memorized uh, as a child was Psalm 119.105. And it says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a path and a light into my path. And I was thinking about it one day. I was reading this over and over and over again. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Okay, what, what's that mean? And it just hit me one day. Do you ever see anyone getting out a flashlight? In the middle of the day when the sun's out? 
Yeah, it would be the weirdest thing in the world, wouldn't it? You, the person's out there, oh, I got my flashlight. No. You get your flashlight out when it's dark. My kids, they have these, uh, have you ever seen them before? They look like monkeys, and they're like these headlights. You put them on, and um, it looks like they're, you know, you go down into a, a cave or something. And my girls, they'll put it on, they're like, oh, Dad, we're not afraid of the woods. I'm like, okay. And then we get out there, and all of a sudden they're like, well, the monkey is. You know, and then they click on the thing, because they want light. And this book, folks, is like a flashlight to guide you and direct you so you don't get hurt. This book isn't to beat you down. It's a love letter that says, I'll help to guide your life. So let me ask you, when it comes to this book, be honest. Pull it out. Look at it. Take a pen right now. Don't look at the person beside you and go, oh, man, they're messed up. Hey, there's one over here. But just being honest. Are you dead to God or are you alive to God? Circle one of those two. This is your assessment. It's not mine. You can leave here and not do any of it. That's okay, but you're not going to grow it. Are you dead to God or are you alive to God when it comes to the Bible? What about worship? You tell a person who is dead to worship, do you ever, like, worship in your car? They're like, why would I do that? Well, do you ever, like, look outside and you're just like, oh, wow, that's really cool. There must have been, like, an intelligent designer who created that. There must have been a, a god or something. Why would I do that? Um, I took my daughters. I'm not a great parent, but I'm trying to be a good parent. And so it's, like, 8.30 at night. And I'm like, hey, guys, you want to go to the playground? Yes, let's go, Dad. So we go to the playground. There's nobody there because all the good parents, you know, have their kids in bed already. Um, And so we're going. But on Thursday night, if you looked up at the sky, you would have seen a beautiful sunset. I mean, just gorgeous. And so I'm driving. I'm looking out there. I'm like, oh, God, man, that is so beautiful. Your glory in the heavens is amazing. And I said, hey, girls, look out the window. What do you see? And Jordan goes, Dad, God painted us a sunset. And I'm like, yeah. Someone who's dead to God, folks, they never look out the window to see the sky and to see the beauty of the heavens that God created. Rather, most of the time, people who are dead to God are like this. Foul, God, foul, God, foul, God. Foul on you, God. I didn't get the promotion I wanted. I didn't get the car I wanted. I didn't get the house I wanted. I didn't get the woman I wanted. I didn't even get the right traffic lane I wanted. And now I'm stuck in this. And typically, they're just generally unhappy with the ways that God has arranged things in their life. But by contrast, if you're alive in God, many times throughout the course of the day, people will just walk through their day and they'll be like, Oh, God, I'm so thankful. You give me the, the exact right amount of oxygen so that I can breathe today. You provided shelter for me today. You provided food for me today. You provided clothing for me. I'm just so thankful, God. You see, there's a big difference, folks, when it comes to worship. Are you dead to God or are you alive to God? You circle 
Next, baptism. You talk to someone who's still dead to God and you say, hey, we're having a baptism out of Prairie Creek in August. And we just wondered if you would be willing, in front of about 100 people or so, and there'll be some boaters, and there'll be some other people, uh, you know, that are swimming and stuff, that you would proclaim Christ in a personal way. And the first thing that someone will say, if they're dead to God, is they will say, you know what, I'm not sure, but I think I did that when I was a baby. I'm pretty sure mom has a certificate for me somewhere. I've never found it, but I'm sure it's there. Or they will say, you're asking me to put on a t-shirt and get wet and get my hair all whacked out. And then all of a sudden be around people. Uh, I'm ducking this one. You know, I know a way. But you talk to someone who's been regenerated by God, who's alive with God. Their first reaction is, is this important to Jesus? And you say, yeah, it is. He got baptized and he, he commands us to do that. They're like. When and where? When and where? August 24th, Prairie Creek. Count me in. I'm in. Just put it down. So when it comes to baptism, are you alive to God or are you dead to God? Next one, church. Church. Now, it's not like uh, people who are dead to God don't come to church. In fact, folks, there are lots of churches that are filled with people who are dead to God. It's just, why they go? They don't know why, they just go. But they don't ever expect that when they're sitting there in that seat, regardless if the teaching was horrible, and the music was bad, and everything else, they never expect sitting in that seat that the God of the universe might actually come down and meet with them. Out of the 7 billion people in the world, he takes a moment and he says, no, 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 I'm going to spend time with you. And he can do it multiple times with multiple people. They kind of are hit and miss. They're like, it's by the temperature. Oh, honey, it's negative 10. I think today it is the pillows and the sheets that we're going to be praying with. You know what I mean? Or they'll be like, uh, oh, it's so hot. You know, I'll just sit here and sweat. I don't need to sweat in the church, you know. Or when the Colts are playing. It's always amazing to me. If it's a one o'clock game, we're in trouble in this place. If it's a four o'clock game, people are here like, oh man, God is so important to my life until four o'clock. If it's 8.30, they're good to go. It's the nine o'clock celebration always grows when it's cold season. Because people are like, I got to be home for my football. Are you ready for some football? You know? <laughs> but a person who is alive to God, they say the local church is the hope of the world. The church is the hands and feet of Christ today in our society. I was never more proud of our church than on Friday when we had this big cookout. And all of a sudden, I started to notice there were a few people that you could tell they just needed a warm meal. And all of a sudden, some of our people just came up and said, hey, have you had anything to eat? And they're like, no. And they're like, come on. And they're like, no, 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 no. I said, no, come on. Just serving people, loving on people, you know, eating some pulled pork and barbecue together. Didn't even know them. 
The church, folks, helps reconcile people to God. That's why I say it's, it's the most important institution, organism that you can be a part of. People who are alive to God, they develop an incredible loyalty and hope to the church. And they want their church to give God glory. And it's so important to them that when the church gathers, they want to be there. So when it comes to the church, folks, just you, think about it. Circle one or the other. Are you dead to God when it comes to that? Or are you alive to God? Prayer. A few years ago, Jennifer and I went to go uh, see one of our friends who lives in Chicago. Everyone has one of these friends. You know, like one of those friends who's been successful in everything that they've ever done. Like, they were the Harvard kid coming out of the birth canal. You know what I mean? She went to Cornell for law school. She just is like one of the most high-profile lawyers in all of Chicago. And she's our friend. And so, like, we always, you know, hey, yeah, we got, we got a friend, you know. And we went to her house, and uh, that night she said, hey, we're going out on a double date. There's a guy I've been dating. I want you guys to meet him. And let's go out. And I'm like, sure, that'd be great. And so we we go out to eat and uh, we go to one of these fancy restaurants. You know, the ones where there's multiple forks, like there were so many forks out there. I was like, I have no clue. I'm looking at Jen. She's like, "Mm, don't do anything. Just watch me. You know, I'm like watching her, you know, and like knowing which fork to get. And, you know, so so finally the lettuce comes and I don't eat salad. So I'm like, you know, and. Finally, we get to the main course. I'm like, man, this is the fourth fork, dude. We got to, you know, we got to get on this. And so um, the food comes and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I go, well, let's pray. And so I reach out my hand to our friend who is a Christ follower. I don't know this guy from Adam. I reach out, I grab his hand, I start praying. And have you ever done a sneak prayer before? Like you're praying, but you're kind of nervous because the people around you. And all of a sudden it hits on you like, I'm praying, but I'm nervous. So you kind of just open one eye just a little bit, you know, like, like kind of see. And I look over there and this guy, he's got his, my hand, but his, his mouth like this. He's like. And so I end the prayer and we're done. And uh, we go back to her house and we drove separately. And the next day she said she. She goes, Chris, <laughs> did you not know that he's not a Christ follower? I said, oh, I, I didn't know. I just, you know, hey, food's here. I didn't get the forks right. I know we're supposed to pray, you know. <laughs> and so uh, she's like, no. And when we, last night he told me, he goes, he goes, when he grabbed my hand and then he started to pray, he said, we only do that at holidays. You see, folks, people who are dead to God associate prayer with a religious thing that you do every once in a while, a few times a year when the family comes in. It's not personal. It's not conversational. It's not that you're visiting God with, throughout your day. But you take someone who is alive to God, they pray in their car, they pray at work, they don't grab people's hands. That was a bonehead thing to do, okay? You don't grab people's hands, you don't know, you know. 
But you pray. And this is the thing that I've learned, and I'm working so hard. There's, there are people in our church who do this so much better than I do. That when, you're, when a person is standing in front of you, they're the most important person that God's put in your path. And you should be asking and praying, God, what word of encouragement can I give them? How can I love them? God, is there something that I can say to them? I mean, I bet you've all experienced this before. You've got someone in front of you, and you're just looking like, seriously, I've got more important things to do. And a person who's alive to God, they stop. And they're like, God, how can, I, how can I be of encouragement? It's an ongoing conversation. So when it comes to prayer, are you dead to God or are you alive to God? You, you choose. Now, to people who are dead to God, the, the poor are just a bother. They're just a bother. I mean, you're sitting there in your living room, you're watching your football game or sporting event or your favorite show, and all of a sudden, here comes some kid from Africa, and they're wanting money, and you're like, seriously? Click. I've got my own problems. I don't need to be looking at some, you know, big eye, big bellied, malnutrition kid. I mean, why are they always interrupting? I mean, let someone else solve the problem. But when you're alive to God, and you see someone who's a poor, you look at it on television, you're like, you know what? That could be me. Therefore, the grace of God go I. That could be me at the edge of that swamp, drinking that water that is going to create all kinds of issues. And then you develop a heart for the plight of the poor. Until Jennifer and I went to Kenya, to be honest, most of the time when the Africa kind of things came on, I felt bad for him, but I just kind of let it go. And then when we were uh, in a hospital where everyone on that floor had AIDS and every single one of them were going to die within days and there are flies all over them, my heart breaks now. You don't have any idea how good you have it. And you think about the poor. And you go, you know what? It's not someone else's problem. It's our problem. It's my problem. And maybe I can do one thing that could help someone who's hurting today. I love to take my kids to big cities and we walk through and there are often a lot of different people that are homeless. And they love to go and try to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Sometimes I'm, I'm kind of hesitant. You know, I don't want them to get hurt. I don't, and, and, and Jordan and Shiloh will just go up and they, they just want to be Jesus to people who are poor. Do you realize, folks, that over half of the world lives on $2 a day or less? $2 a day. Both people can be religious, though. Are you dead to God or are you alive to God? So, are you clear about it? I don't think so, so I have five more, okay? I figured if you came on July 4th, you really wanted to grow. So, here we go. Next one, purity, purity. This deals with uh, sinning and that kind of thing. 
uh, people who are dead to God, when they do something wrong, they're like, oh, I might have messed the cosmic world up in some way, but it's no big deal what I did. People have done much worse than that. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. Heaven will get over it. It's no big deal. But when you're alive to God, all of a sudden purity becomes a personal thing. You go, oh no, I don't want to disappoint the one who redeemed me. I'll just be real with you uh, this morning. We have a a television and uh, we get a couple movie channels. And all of a sudden I started noticing that when I would watch movie channels... And if they, if they were rated R, it just kind of wasn't good for me. And so I told Jennifer, I just said, you know what, I want you to put a code in there, and we'll put a code in there, and, and then we don't have to do that. Now, I'm not saying all rated R movies are bad. Passion of the Christ was rated R. Okay? But I'm just saying that I want to be pure, so I don't want to watch anything, especially when my wife isn't sitting right beside me. Now, some of you might be like, bunch, seriously, it's a big deal. Well, maybe it's not a big deal for you. But for me, I'm not strong enough. So I need that kind of help. I want to be pure. And so when I mess up and I have a disappointment and I I do something to God that is not pure in His eyes, I, I want to go to Him quickly. Do I do it all the time? Absolutely not. But people who are alive to God, they do it all the time. Immediately when they sin, they go to God because they want to be made clean. Sin is so personal to them. Oh God, I'm sorry. They grieve the sin. So are you dead to God in this one or alive to God? Money. People that are dead to God are really glad that God doesn't have anything to do with their money. I mean, seriously. They're like, that's mine. I earned it. It's mine. It's my stuff. I always wanted to be like an owner of the storage units because you would have cleaned up house. People got too much stuff, so what do they do? They go get a big place to put their stuff. And a person that's dead to God is like, I'm going to hold on to my stuff as long as I can. But people who are alive to God, they're free. They're regenerated. They openly give. They say, you know what? Everything I have is yours, God. However you want me to handle it, I'll do it. You say the word, I'll do it. There's just something inside them that says, God, you've provided for all my needs, and so however you want me to use it, I'm free to do that. Next one, relational conflict. People who are dead to God, they can have 20 conflicts going on. You ever notice that? They got, when you have people who are like, they got relational issues, it isn't just in one area of their life, is it? It's like, they got stuff with their family, they got stuff with their work, they just got stuff everywhere with people. But people who are alive to God, they're like, you know what? I don't want that. If I have to be the first one to say, hey, I'm sorry, and it was only 1% my fault, I'll be the first one to admit the 1% that was my fault. I'll pick up the phone. I'll call. I'll say, hey, sorry that I was the one that said this or said that. Can we just make this right? So on this one, are you dead to God or are you alive to God? 
Evangelism. People who are dead to God make fun of people uh, whenever they want to share their faith. They're like, really? But people who are alive to God, they're like, no, no, no. This isn't about me getting glory or me saying something. This is about the fact that I want to pray for my mom and dad. I want them to be made alive. I want to pray for my brother and my sister. I want them to be made alive in God. I want my neighbors, co-workers to experience this aliveness. And God, whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do it. If I need to have them at my house, if I need to help them with something, if I just need to pray and pray and pray and pray, God, I'll do it. So with this one, are you alive to God or are you dead to God? Last one, heaven. Those people who are dead to God, they think heaven's just a pipe dream. But they fear death. I can't tell you how many people that I know who they just fear death. They don't even want to talk about it. Those who are alive to God, they go, oh man, I was regenerated by God and he has prepared a place for me. Not that I'm, you know, saying, hey, today's the day, but if it is, I'm okay. Their anticipation of heaven goes way up and their fear of death goes way down when they're alive with God. All this to say, folks, that everybody starts off in life wherever you're at, dead to God. That's what the text says. You're dead to God. You follow in the ways of the world and then you gratify the desires of your flesh and you stay dead in all these various ways. But, but, there are some people who are made alive. There are people who are raised up, they're resurrected. The deadness comes out of them. There is divine life that is imparted into them. You might go, well, that's really cool, but how does that happen? How does that work? How do I know? Well, we read it earlier, Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says this. Let's read this out loud together. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. See, folks, it's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't do something. You can't say, well, I got myself regenerated. I worked eight months on it, and it finally happened. I mean, I went to two mission trips, and it finally happened. I got myself regenerated. It's not how it happens. It's by grace that you're saved by faith. God came to your door. He knocked a regenerating sound and he said, are you ready? And you have a choice. And some people do and some people don't. But when you do, it's powerful. It changes your whole life. You're regenerating. You feel brand new. You feel inside new. So let me just ask you this question. Are you regenerating? Do you feel the life of Christ pulsating inside of you that confirms that you've been regenerated? Now today we're going to end this celebration a little bit differently because I have a feeling that some people probably think they're much more alive to God than they are. And there's probably some people who think they're more dead to God than they actually are. And so there's not going to be a closing prayer today. But what I'm simply asking you is that if you went through that list and you're kind of like, you know what, it's not all of them, but for the most part, I'm pretty alive with God. What I'd like you to do is to take some time 
and to just thank God. I mean, on a weekend in which we thank God for the freedoms that we have politically, why not thank Him for the freedom that you have in Christ, what He's done for you? Just a couple of minutes. And then after a couple of minutes, after you've done that, before you leave, I'd like you to pray for somebody. I'm going to ask God that He place a a face or a person in your life, in your mind, that you could pray for. Maybe it's a a parent, or maybe it's a brother or sister, maybe it's a friend, a co-worker, maybe there's multiple people. Maybe it's your one 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 person, just someone that you're saying, you know what, they are disconnected from Christ and the church. I'm going to pray for them. And God, as I pray for them, if there's any way that I can be used, if I can be available to be able to care for them, God, let me know. Just two, three, four minutes and and then you can exit. Just feel free to get up, walk out. Hey, I did what God wanted me to do. I'm, I'm done. And then one more thing. For those of you who went through the list, and if you were honest, you said, you know what? Man, I didn't realize it, but I'm, I'm kind of dead to God in some of these ways. I wouldn't sit there and pray. I would ask somebody to pray for me. I would actually ask someone, would you pray a prayer of regeneration for me? That my life would be made new. In all the areas. And so myself and a few other people will be up here praying and we'll stay here as long as we need to. And and you can come and pray. And then once you're done, you can just kind of exit. So we're going to uh, turn the lights down and give you just a moment with God. Maybe you haven't had one in a second. Just to do some business with God. And maybe you thank Him for being regenerated and you pray for somebody who's far from Him. Or if you're like, you know what, there's some deadness. I need to be made alive. I don't know why you would leave today without getting some prayer. And so I'm going to invite those folks to come up and I'll be up here too to pray and then whenever you're done you can just feel free to, to leave the guys will sing a song and, and thank you for being here today